Uh, I'd like us to just take a little time to, to look in the tenth, at the 10th commandment in some more detail. And here it is again. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why is that not up there? Sorry, thank you, Richard, for motioning. Uh, in, in some ways, the word covet is, is not one that we hear or tend to use a lot today. But the concept of wanting what is not ours is well known. and We're all familiar with that idea. Let me give you a trivial example, and it sort of picks up a little on the sketch. But I'll guarantee you we've all been here. No matter how long you take, agonizing over the menu, deciding which dessert to have, Whenever the person beside you or down the table gets yours, you realize, I want that one, don't you? And whether it is desserts or clothes or houses or salaries or jobs or talents or lifestyles, cars, gadgets, we sometimes find ourselves wanting what other people have. We covet. Now, what exactly is coveting? And we've already had some thoughts on the screen, and I don't know what you think about whenever you think of coveting. But it's more than desire, because desires are God-given. Many desires are perfectly legitimate, but coveting, different definitions. But it's an inordinate and excessive desire to acquire and to possess more than we need or more than we deserve. It's a sort of hankering after what other people have. Often because we believe that if we had that and whatever that happens to be, then somehow we would be fulfilled. You see, I think it's, it's true that deep down we do all want to be content or we all do want to be happy. But the tragedy is that we find ourselves living in a materialistic society and culture And so there is this very real and strong temptation to buy into thinking that the only way, or certainly a key way, to achieve that contentment, that happiness, is by acquiring those things that we don't already have. So we are, it's been suggested, a nation of people who desire what we haven't got. We're never satisfied. We want more and more And therefore, it's not surprising, maybe, that in a desperate but a futile attempt to satisfy that insatiable thirst that covetousness produces, that one of our favorite pastimes as a society and a culture, one of our favorite hobbies, is now shopping. It is being described as the primary cultural pursuit of our times. But you might think, hang on a minute. Why are, we, why are we starting here? Why are we starting? And a number of people have asked me this. Why are we starting at commandment number 10? Because surely even a wrong or an illegitimate desire is not that big a deal. Aren't there other commandments or aren't any of the other commandments more important than this one? Because you see, we probably all agree that people can and should be prosecuted for things like murder. 
or for stealing. But coveting, it's not against the law to covet. So why all the fuss? It's a fair point. But although covetousness might be unseen, and it is, it's one of the ones that is unseen. It's invisible. It's impossible, in a sense, to legislate against it. The fact is that its effects are seen everywhere and can be devastating. So it's true that no one has ever been sent down for the crime of coveting. But you don't have to look too closely to see the effect that wrong desires have on people's actions. We might not turn all our desires into actions, but all our actions are a result of our desires. So, for example, every act of theft starts with someone's desire to have something that doesn't belong to them. Every act of adultery begins with someone's desire to have that person that he or she is not married to. And so coveting, as others have highlighted, is the motive behind breaking most of, if not all, of the other commandments. Is it the mother of all sins? Another interesting uh, thought to bear in mind as we reflect on this issue is that encouraging coveting is now a major, major national industry. We call it advertising. And advertisements might have been initially created with no other goal than to inform the public, but now they subtly or not so subtly set out to manipulate our existing desires or to create new ones. So that the mobile phone we use, the car we drive, the TV we watch, although they may all be perfectly okay with the onslaught of advertising, we suddenly think, you know, this urgently needs to be replaced. Advertising powerfully feeds that desire to have what others have, to have the latest model, the latest version that maybe belongs to a friend or a colleague, or even in our culture, we would say, belongs to a celebrity. In addition, coveting is also, and this was raised in the presentation, it's also encouraged by the availability of instant credit. So if you do want more, if you want bigger, if you want better, you actually don't need to control that desire you can have credit instantly. You can have it within 24 hours. Now, what I'm not saying, please hear me, is that advertising and credit are necessarily wrong or evil. I'm just, and just in case there's anybody who works in both of those areas, but what I am attempting to highlight is how they can feed and fuel our potential and our tendency to covet. But coveting is it's not a new problem, and although in some ways it may be very relevant to our culture and our time, it's not a new problem, it's not a new sin. And therefore God in his wisdom included a command not to do it. Now that's not because God is a cosmic killjoy, but it is because God knows the damaging impact that coveting has on our individual lives and on our relationships. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Whenever God created, he gave mankind the freedom to eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden, but there was one restriction. Not to eat or not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the creation narrative that's found in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, that book of beginnings, it describes how the devil in the form of a serpent tempted Adam and Eve to break that restriction. And he suggested to Eve that, listen, if you ate the fruit, then in a sense it would give you power to be like God. And that desire to covet, to want what was not hers, 
It was not hers. But that desire, that illegitimate desire, that wrong desire to covet was sown in Eve's heart. And she went with it. And the result was disastrous at so many levels. Eve suffered personally and she suffered relationally. And so God knows the destructive effects that coveting has on people's lives. And therefore, whenever he was laying down a framework, which is what this is, whenever he was laying down a framework for his people to make life work and for enjoying life, he said, listen, don't go there. Do not covet. Second biblical example, another well-known one, concerns David, the great psalm writer, the noble warrior, the excellent king who had, you would have thought he would have had He had everything, everything he surely would have ever wanted. And yet one single case of illicit desire, of wanting what belonged to somebody else, of coveting, it led to untold grief and it almost destroyed his kingship. And he desired another man's wife. He acted on his desire. He slept with her. She became pregnant. And David then arranged for her husband to be killed on the battlefield in a desperate cover-up attempt and the whole thing turned out a complete mess. And again, the personal and the relational damage was extensive and all because David broke the 10th commandment which resulted in David breaking the 6th, 7th and 9th commandments as well. And against no wonder God says, listen, don't covet because he knows the effect that it has on human lives and because God wants what is best for us, knows what is best for us, then he's given us this commandment as a gift That's why we say these are laws of love set in stone. They are a gift to us in order that we can live life safely, protect ourselves, protect our relationships. One of the uh, major problems with covetousness is that it promises to deliver and yet virtually always fails. It promises contentment. It promises fulfillment. But few, if any, of the things we covet actually bring either long-term So covetance says, listen, if you desire the things that you don't have, like other people, or money, or a particular lifestyle, or fame, then you'll be satisfied. But as one German philosopher said, as far back as 1851, coveting is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. And in many ways, covetance is based on an illusion. And it's so important that we see through it. We think that if we had more, I know I do at times, We think that if we had more, if I had what the person next to me has, then I'd be satisfied. And yet if we're honest, we know that isn't true because we'll always want more and bigger and better. And the latest, John D. Rockefeller, who at one time was the richest man in the world, was once asked, listen, how much money does it take for a person to be really satisfied? He thought for a moment and then he replied, just a little bit more. So what is the alternative? What is it that God longs for us to discover that leads to a far better quality of life? And the answer is contentment. Grass isn't always greener on the other side. Someone has said that people today live in one of two tents. Content, discontent. Where do you and I reside? Well, what I want to do just in the last 10 minutes or so of this part is is to offer you some suggestions on how you can find contentment. Because that's what the title of this evening is, Find Contentment. The first is this, be grateful for what we already have. Don't get sucked into the when and then line of thinking. You know, when I get a better job, then 
I'll be happy. When I have a higher salary, then I'll be more content. When I get a bigger house, then I'll be happy. And at a certain level, and temporarily, having and getting more does deliver. Be wrong with me to stand up here and suggest it doesn't at times, and at a certain level. It does deliver. But it's not very long before the desire to want more again just raises its head. Coveting takes our focus away from what we've already got to what we don't have, and therefore has this potential to leave us in a permanent state of discontent. Take a couple of seconds just just to think of what you do have and to be grateful, because as the Bible teaches, after all, We didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world, and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And the reality is, and I think it's important to bear this in mind, that if you have enough food, or if you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back and a roof over your head and a place to sleep tonight, you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, Summon your wallet and spare change in a dish someplace around the house, then you're among the top 8% in the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, then you're more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week. And if you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're more fortunate than 500 million people around the world came across those this week, found them staggering. Am I grateful for what I've got? Coveting makes us long for more. In contrast, gratefulness, thankfulness, helps us to see what we've already got. Second thing, recognize the limitations of wealth. Do you know, money talks, but it doesn't always talk sense. And I think it's really, really important that I, that I make this point, that this is not a talk about having a go at people who have got money and who have got lots of things. I would hate that anybody went away and thought that's what this was about. The Bible does not condemn wealth and possessions. But the Bible does teach that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. God's not opposed to wealth, but he is opposed to the worship of it. Because again, God is all too aware of the potential damage that it has in people's hearts. It's one of the reasons that Jesus talked so much about this subject. 16 out of 38, maybe more, parables dealt with money and possessions. And God knows the limitations of wealth. And as one of the richest, wisest men who ever lived came to realize, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. And the writer of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes discovered that fact thousands of years ago, and yet the truth of his comments retain relevance. Money is a good thing, but it's possible to pay too high a price for it. It cannot deliver all that it promises. Money can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. can buy a house, but not a home. can buy companionship, but not friendship. can buy entertainment, but not happiness. can buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a crucifix, but not a savior. And it is so important that we keep money and possessions in perspective. As I've said, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with enjoying the benefits of material prosperity. But whenever we lose our sense of proportion, 
as individuals and as a nation, whenever we begin to lose our higher values and we diminish ourselves and we become absorbed in a narrow and a driven consumerism that threatens, not only threatens, actually does imprison so many people. As Bertrand Russell once commented, it is preoccupation with possessions more than anything else that prevents men from living freely and nobly. To be content and to learn contentment, we need to recognize the limitations of wealth. Third thing, focus on, on people, not possessions. One of, one of the very real dangers of coveting is that it can actually lead us or cause us to value things over and above people. And in our desire to have more, it's often our relationships that suffer. In the race for prosperity, prosperity, people are easily crushed in the rush. For example, we all know people who maybe work long, long hours. Why? Not necessarily because they have to, but in order to maintain or to pursue a particular lifestyle. And the relational price they pay is high. And relationships suffer. And family life suffers. And the best thing we all have heard of so many times, the best thing that a parent can give their kids is time. It's not things. Contentment is found in investing in relationships. Don't let things become more important than people. Do you know, we are meant to love people and use things. The problems really start whenever we love things and begin using people. Look beyond what is temporary. And this is something the Bible constantly encourages us to do, to live our lives in light of eternity. And therefore urges us to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There is so much more to life. And as we've already said, or as the Bible teaches, you can't take anything with you, whether it's money, wealth, possessions, fame, whatever. You cannot take any of that with you when you leave. When Alexander the Great had conquered the known world, he instructed his officers that when he died, his hands were to be left outside of his coffin so that all might see that though he had conquered the world, he would and could carry nothing with him into the hereafter. And so the condition of your soul becomes the critical issue. Because as one Christian writer said, we are not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying heading towards the land of the living. And so as Jesus provocatively said, how will you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And to discover true contentment We need to look beyond the temporary to the eternal. We need to keep eternal things in perspective so that we can pay close attention to our internal well-being. The condition of our soul really does matter. A couple more and end on. Be generous. Perhaps one of the best antidotes for coveting is generosity. It's more blessed or blessed to give than to receive is what the Bible teaches. And often the most content people in the world are those who are generous with what they have and then finally maybe a strange thing to say covet jesus you know we were created to enjoy a relationship with our creator but as a result of sin that relationship has been damaged and so our hearts are restless There is something not quite right, and we know that. And although we can try to find contentment and purpose and satisfaction in other things and in having what other people have, 
and in other people themselves, our heart still aches. Many of you are familiar with this quote from Bernard Levin, columnist. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. And that however much food or drink they pour into it, however many motor cars, TV sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. And after living his own life, his own way, for a period of time, Augustine came to a place of recognizing, you know, you've made our hearts, Lord, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. And we believe that you find your rest in God through Jesus. Because God loved us so much that he gave Jesus. So that whoever would believe in him could find eternal life. Jesus came to give us that life, that life in all its fullness. And in him we find a quality of life. In him you find forgiveness, hope, peace, purpose, acceptance, love, a sense of belonging, all those things that actually are God-given desires. So rather than coveting, rather than yearning for more temporary things or yearning for something that is not yours to have, it is our hope and prayer that you will reach out and grasp what actually has been given to you, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. And time's almost gone. The Tenth Commandment, I realize, is in some ways it's a tricky one to start with. And the reason it is tricky is because it is hidden. And therefore, I think it's not the one we take particularly seriously. I mean, other sins are easier to spot lying, stealing, murder, not resting, dishonoring your parents. But coveting, that, that happens below the surface. It's more of an attitude. It's more of a thought. But it's serious. And if it's left unchecked, then it's going to have a negative impact on our lives and our relationships. And God knows that. And therefore, God has given us this command. Why? Because he wants to protect us. Protect our lives, protect our relationships, not just with one another, but also with him. And so he says, don't go there. Don't go there. And just in the last couple of moments before we sing a, a, a final song, hopefully everybody will have got a card. I don't know if there was enough cards. Uh, there was enough. Uh, hopefully everybody will have got a little card on the way in, uh, which was just a little condensed version of the poster that Stephen had done for us. Uh, I'd like you to just grab hold of that card if you did get one on the way in. If you don't, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, these are, we're just going to give you one of these every week, take away with you, use to reflect. But on the back of it, if you do have a pen, great. If you don't, it doesn't matter, as I say. But just in a moment's silence, I want you to just think about these three questions. Would you describe yourself as content or discontent, and why? Why are you content this evening? Or why are you discontent? And if you had one question that you would like to ask about this commandment, what would that question be? I, I realize that, you know, in a 20-minute talk or so, I would have covered enough issues. And maybe some people are thinking, ah, oh, you didn't touch on this, David, or you didn't say enough about that. Well, but what, what's the question you would like to ask? And what thought regarding coveting will you take away with you from this evening? to just reflect on further. So just in a moment's silence, and I won't leave it for very long, but just have a little think. If you want to scribble, fine. If not, that's okay.